You're listening to an Mpavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I'd like to first begin by paying our respects to the traditional owners of this land upon which we gather, the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people, as well as the elders past, present, and emerging. We extend this respect to all indigenous peoples of this continent and its adjacent lands, recognizing their cultures as the oldest continuous living cultures in human history. We recognize the deep and enduring spiritual connection and relationship Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have with community, as well as the lands, oceans, waterways, air, and sky. We acknowledge that the land we live, work, and create upon always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Good evening, everyone. Um, I hope you're all doing well. Um, first, I'd like to thank M Pavilion for hosting us here tonight. I am Sandra Gathinji. I am a designer, curator, and educator, and I'll be your moderator this evening. Um, a few housekeeping rules. Uh, the M Pavilion kiosk bar is over here on your right, so you can grab a drink at any point in time throughout the evening. Uh, we have Parks, the food truck down the bottom, um, if you'd like to grab a meal. Um, and then bathrooms. You could always use the bathrooms at the Arts Center, just a few meters away from here. So the panel discussion will run for around 30 minutes, and then we'll open up to the audience for a few questions, and then we'll get straight into the film screening. Just to give you a bit of a background of the project Black Diasporas. So for decades, stories about people of African heritage living in the city have been written as narratives that perpetuate the tropes of nefarious gang members and extremely successful outliers. The danger of a single narrative is that it distorts the self-perception of people of African heritage. The Black Diaspora's Nam Melbourne project presents a unique and innovative way of place-based storytelling using the modes of both physical space and digital media to convey a narrative. The exhibition that ran at No Vacancy a few months ago um, at the testing grounds as well earlier this month was designed to be a sensory experience using sight and sound as the mediums for an immersive experience. The digital map that you can access on blackdiasporas.com and the exhibition showcased stories that go beyond the ubiquitous narratives of tragedy or heroism associated with people of African descent. Because it was, sorry. Because it was made by people of African descent, as opposed to stories about our community authored by others. This process provided the opportunity for a more nuanced representation and spectrum of experiences of the majority of 50,000 people of African heritage living in this city. So Black Diaspora shares life stories that encapsulate everything from the joys of giving birth, playing as a child, to the mundaneness of catching a tram or a bus, to the tragedy of the effects of racial stereotyping and the loss of life as well. The project is a manifestation of the contributions of 75 community members and creatives, including filmmakers, interviewers, and interviewees. Tonight, we have the pleasure of hearing from four creatives who worked on the production of 10 films that were created from a selection of stories. 
I have to say that this is a star-studded affair. I was reading the bios and um, the body of work is exceptional and the recognition and awards is just astounding. So thank you all for being here. Um, I'll introduce our panelists. I'll start from on the left, sorry, on the right here next to me is Serena. Serena Lotte um, is a queer multicultural emerging producer and director based in Nam, working primarily across film to explore further understanding their own identity through stories of queerness, culture, and intersectionality. Let's welcome Serena. We then have Abdul Yusuf, uh, an award-winning cinematographer and photographer of Somali background, based here in Nam as well. Abdul's cinematography centers around uplifting and celebrating stories from the African-Australian diaspora through short films and music videos. Welcome, Abdul. <laughs> We're graced to have Scottness Smith here with us, an award-winning film director and producer. His films are characterized with sharp performances, arresting visuals, and storytelling that empowers. He is currently working as a creative producer at the African Football League. Welcome, Scottness. <laughs> and last but not least, Lila Benetti is an inter internationally acclaimed, hey, <laughs> award-winning emerging artist and director based in Nam, working across a variety of screen art genres to explore stories of otherness, intersectionality, and the gentle nuance that shapes cross-cultural identities. Welcome, Laila. Thank you. So to kick off this discussion today, um, start with you, Scottness. Um, so you have showcased a number of films and television projects at notable festivals and awards, uh, to name a few, the Pan-African Film Festival in Los Angeles, the South African Film and Television Award, the African Movie Awards, Academy Awards, and the Kalasha International Film Festival. Um, most recently, you directed on the third Netflix original series from Africa, Jaiba. Jaiba? Yes. <laughs> that was released in July 2021. Um, if you haven't watched this masterpiece, I highly recommend that you put it on your watch list. Um, and the Spotify album is really great too. Um, your extensive career has included working on the African continent and the diaspora as well. Um, there are often fictions that skew one's understanding of what it means to be African and to what extent Africanness is expressed, understood, and relevant in contemporary global culture. What does it mean to capture or portray authenticity within an African identity, uh, particularly within the continent and the diaspora. You can speak to other projects that you've worked on or more specifically um, the film produced for Black Diasporas, Trams, Trains, TKZ and me. Thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for this esteemed panel uh, and thank you, Sandra, for that question that is so uh, challenging to get to, but I'll be Direct. This week, I came across a. Uh, my parents have an archive of films and pictures that we thought was lost to us because my mother brought it from South Africa 16 or 17 years ago when the first part of our family came here. And she put it through the x ray machine as you do. And immediately she thought that everything about who our family was when they came here, was lost. 
And a few months ago, my, my mom said to me, hey, Manscottness, can you do something about th these tapes? And I was like, mom, I don't think so because the tapes are lost. It's been through an x-ray machine at an airport. And luckily, I went to go to a, to a guy and I was like, hey, please, brother, can you help me get these tapes? And when I looked at those tapes, and I wasn't going to speak about this, but I'm going to share with you because it's really important to me. When I look at those tapes about what it was our family was like before we came to Australia, we were extremely sheltered and optimistic about what the future holds for Africans globally. And when I reflect, and that's why, I, like, as I stood up here, I don't know, Abdul, if you heard me, I said to my younger self, we are here. I'm saying that extremely deliberately. Because when I reflect on my journey and the journey of people like mine, a big part of it is, is the struggle to find your most authentic self. And what I have found, and, and, and your identity, and what I have found is that you find a lot of contradictions and criticism and misunderstanding about who you are and what your background is about because of what you look like or what the stories are about where you come from because you come from Joburg with its crime, etc. and all of that randomness. And so this film um, that we made th and with your help is talking about the experience on a tram, the ex experience of being here in Australia and figuring out how you fit in and when you don't fit in, what you can do with that so that you can feel your authentic self. So I don't know about identity and the whole big broad picture, but what I do know is I am on a journey to figuring that out and a big part of that is moments like this in contact with my people to find as a tribe and individually what it is that we wanna do, what we can do, and most importantly, what we must do to be our authentic selves. So I don't, yeah, that's my, that's my reflection. Yeah, no, that, that was beautiful. I felt that, Scottness. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Um, I'm curious about music for you because music is a big part of, <laughs> of this film and um, you were, you know, you're creating film on your, on your personal story as well. So that's quite a different lens. Um, could you speak a bit on that? Absolutely. So <clears throat> I think as an African working in the creative space, part of the levers that I work with are music, they are rhythm, and they are story. And I find when I pull from those, I'm not only pulling from like today, in my experience, I am pulling from the experience of like my people culturally through time, my ancestors and all of them. At some point, whenever you found any of us, it was, we were surrounded, we, we, we were in community with music, with rhythm, and with story. And that's what I'm trying to do. Because I'm, I'm not trying to do anything new. All I'm trying to do is what I come from and finding the most potent ways to share that as broadly as possible. When I was 17, just for a quick another anecdote, familiarly. When I was 16 or 17, my dad moved away from South Africa to Saudi Arabia, and he was one of my biggest supporters. In, in being a, a, like an actor and a, and a thespian and a, you know, all those things and, and making a, stage art, a stagecraft. And I was, when he left, I thought, how can I share what my dad, who's given me so much, has done for me? Like, how can I show him what it is that I do? And that's when I picked up my first video camera at 16, 17 and made my first film. And that lesson that that young 16, 17-year-old Scottness learned was this little tool can go 
the world around much faster and much quicker than you can. And so why I come to film is I want to be able to share the experience of people like myself and others globally. Global African excellence. That is what I'm trying to do. I hear that, yes. <laughs> Um, and on that note, on storytelling um, that you touched on, um, Serena, you mentioned um, that you had a deep interest in music and theatre in your earlier years, um, and that that evolved into film through a passion of writing. Um, the heart of a truly great film is a story, I believe, um, and everything that goes into making a film from casting choices to special effects is there to reinforce the story behind it. Um, what was your process in selecting the story for Who Are You? Um, and were there moments where you had some self-identification? Um, was there personal motivations around your selection? And how did these manifest in the production of the work? Oh my gosh, my goodness. That's such a beautifully worded question. Thank you. Um, I think for me, everything that I've ever wanted or tried to create has is kind of looking for and trying to understand myself a bit more and myself a bit deeper. So when looking through all of the audio tapes that we were given to create this, um, I tried to just find something that I resonated with and that I identified with first and then brought that out to try and expand upon that to kind of intra introspect and look deeper within myself to understand what that looked like. So the story that I chose was Sarah's and that was about being a young black woman and cutting your hair off for the first time. And to me that res really resonated because when I was 16, I cut my hair off for the first time and I tied a lot of my African identity to my hair and knowing sort of what that was and being feminine and understanding what femininity and black identity was behind that. So that was a huge part of my journey there and kind of getting to explore that with within this film and then with Celine who stars in it as well was a beautiful transformative experience for me. And yeah, just getting to really delve into that was fantastic. So yeah, steep. <laughs> what was the process in getting Celine on board? Like yeah, um, Celine is a fantastic person who I had been following for a long time. They've worked in a variety of different things, mostly in child acting, and they identify as non-binary. So it was really interesting to bring them on board and then to sort of understand or re-look at my understanding of femininity and what that meant to me through a different lens of someone else who was non-binary and kind of stripping that back and not only understanding the importance of hair for someone who is feminine presenting and feminine identifying. Um, so broader than that, it was, it was beautiful to work with Celine on that and to, yeah, to look at things in a different way. I'm curious, what would it have meant to you, you know, 16 year olds, uh, Serena, watching that film, the film that you produced, you know, what would, what would that have meant? I think it would have given me a lot of courage. I think it would have given me a lot of, um, yeah, hope to know that there is other people out there who understand and felt the same things as me um, and who could continue to create that within an artistic world. Yeah, because I think at that time when I was 16, kind of coming into music and film for the first time, I didn't 
know that there was a world of people out there who experienced and who understood and felt the same things as I did. So yeah, that would have really, really, really helped me at 16. I'm curious about the process as well for other people on the panel. Um, Lila, what, what was that process for you choosing the story that you would then produce film? Hello, everyone. Um, <laughs> for choosing the story, um, so I was approached by Ivy um, Matuku, an incredible um, filmmaker, and she asked me to be a part of the project. Uh, it was probably about two weeks before I flew over to Italy. So I had to, um, yeah, really kind of pull something together at, in, in a really short period of time. And, um, you know, I requested the files immediately, all of the audio files, and I listened to all of them over about um, 24 hours. And I really had to trust my instinct and my gut in what um, felt right with me. And kind of um, a lot of what I'm doing in my practice now is about um, the embodied experience and how I feel and how I, you know, how does something hit me when I'm, whether I'm, you know, creating something or I'm watching something, we often, a film is often like a, you know, either a, an intellectual experience or an emotional experience. And um, yeah, I kind of wanted to look deeper to that and see like kind of what, what hits you in your um, instinctual, in your gut. And I came across this audio of Amaryllis and um, this person, Amaryllis, they're a dance um, teacher from, um, yeah, that live here in, in Nam. And um, their story kind of, they spoke to the, something that they, Amaryllis really articulated something that I have not been able to. And I think listening to this audio and the way that she, unpacks things, I first of all really resonated with the way that she um, kind of m marinates on her thoughts and is able to kind of really work through an idea and get to the crux of it. And so that really appealed to me. But it was this idea of, um, you know, black people, the, the, the film is called Black People Can't Dance. So it's this idea of, um, you know, black people um, not um, feeling welcome in, in these spaces and, and um, I've never really sat and thought about why is it that I don't feel welcome in this space. And, and I think when, when, you're, um, when you're listening to all of this audio, as you were saying, Serena, there are moments where you're like, hmm, okay, cool. Like other people are experiencing this. And I think that's what that project did for me. It really brought all of this together. And so when I had the opportunity, I, I absolutely jumped on it. So yeah, I hope that answered your question. No, definitely, yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in when you talked about being this kind of intellectual endeavor um, and thinking about filmmaking as you know, a mechanical reproduction of something. You speak of film as an art form. Yeah. So I'm really interested in terms of your process while working on, uh, you know, black people can't dance. Um, how did you move the medium away from being, you know, mere record of reality, but to become a kind of visual art form? Um, yeah, I think that... My current practice is about um, dipping more into my artistic brain and finding ways to kind of, I've done a lot of um, production in, in, I'm now a director, but I do, I've done a lot of um, production previously. 
So it's like kind of trying to unpack that um, like analytical kind of technical approach to stuff and really like, like I said, dip into that embodied practice. But um, the film is um, a prolific vehicle for um, transporting people to new worlds. And um, I think as people who are from, um, you know, backgrounds where we're, we're, we're less, um, we're underrepresented within the Australian film industry, we often feel that we, well, I often feel that, um, you know, maybe I need this to really reflect my, my lived experience. I need to create something that's like a direct reflection of, you know, this life that I've lived. And I've really been thinking about that lately and like whether, like what would happen if, you know, I created work that was, you know, imaginative or it was, yeah, it was, yeah, more, um, what happened if I freed myself from this idea that my craft has to directly reflect my reality? So yeah, that's kind of, it's, I guess, challenging myself and asking myself those questions about what if, um, you know, I took those little nuggets that you find um, from, from amorous audio and um, really push that, push that further. And we're dealing, we were dealing with such a kind of, um, what I really loved about the project is we had like quite a, um, you know, it was a tight brief. We were working to um, location and we're working to specific audio files, but there was a lot of freedom in that. And you know, you select your audio files, there's a lot of freedom in that, but there was also so much freedom within, um, complete freedom within how you chose to communicate that visually. And I think for myself working within the film and television industry, um, you know, you take that freedom when you can get it and you really, really push it. And that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of what I did and that's what I'm looking to explore more, um, yeah, in 2023, really. Oh, yeah, I love that. Um and that idea of interpretation, you know, you could interpret it in so many different ways and it's kind of just, you know, through your lens. Um, and I'm interested to kind of come to that with Abdul. <laughs> hey. Um, so you've got, you got the, um, the you, draw, you draw the card to actually walk with the, work with a few directors here, right? So I believe you worked with Lila, you worked with Scottness as well, like through the, the films. Um, and you had mentioned that you were a, photo, a street photographer at, at some point. Like, Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's um, my previous sort of exact uh, what I do, and I still do that to this day. Mm. But yeah. Mm. yeah, so that being quite a, I guess, a more solo um, endeavor um, versus, well, you know, working as a cinematographer, where you're working with a whole set, with a whole team, and collaboratively. Um, curious in terms of what your process has been in, you know, translating and interpreting the visions um, of, you know, the six directors that you worked with and these different distinctive stories, you know, we've gone through selection of story, interpretation, and then, you know, you're, you know, you're crafting these shots. Um, what's, what's your process? Thanks, Sandra. Um, so basically I had the great pleasure uh, to work with six different directors and six different stories. Um, and so I really get to dip into many, many, you know, uh, stories. And my process, you know, as you said before, um, street photography is definitely a lonesome sort of um, endeavor. 
but to work in film is very, very collaborative and you have to work as a team. And look, it helped a little bit into my background of uh, playing basketball a lot in my younger life. Um, and so that's all about team. And so when I came to this uh, project, what really helped kind of move forward the process was I already knew some of them. And so me um, knowing some of the directors really kind of helped. Uh, and generally the process is that I kind of go, okay, look, how do I bring your vision and into kind of film? And so my thing was, you know, my thing was basically, how do I interpret what, and interpret what they want? And that was through just listening. I think what I did was mostly was listen. And just from listening, because we really had a tight uh, time frame. And so what happened was I had to listen and just kind of react and go through with feeling. And through that, I just, because a lot of these stories, what I love about stories sometimes is that you might not get it, but as long as you feel something, I think, and you go away and you feel something, I think that's what's really the most important. And so with this project, there was not a lot of time to kind of go boom, 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 this is what we're going to do. But there was a lot of just kind of, much like dancing. So you just kind of go with feeling. So that's sort of what my process was with this project with uh, many different directors. So, yeah. But it was interesting because every, every director could have had, um, and it was a great pleasure to see, was they all had a different um, process on how they do things. So it was really, I had to also adapt to um, their way of doing things as well. Oh, like six different masterclasses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it feels like kind of across the board, there's been this kind of theme on uh, leaning into your intuition and like really moving from this point of, of feeling. And I, I, I guess that comes from a sense of being comfortable, being in, in, a, in a space that offers you that kind of safety to feel like you can just lean into that. Um, just curious if anyone wants to kind of speak to that uh, in terms of what that experience was like, um, maybe in comparison to other projects that you've worked in um, yeah just um, I think for myself um, and I we were chatting about this earlier um, before the panel um, began the I go into so many um, workplaces and so many film sets and I feel like I'm having to dig my heels in and I'm having to defend um, not only my blackness, but, you know, my I'm having to, def to defend um, people across the board who are underrepresented. And I feel like these are just, within this film industry in Australia, this is just, these are just the cards that I've been dealt. So that's just something that I've kind of accepted as something that I have to do. But um, moving into this project, I didn't realise how easy it could be. I didn't realise what um, I, that I was doing so much and there was so much that I didn't need to do if I found, um, you know, well, yeah, if I worked more with a community whose lived experiences were more in line with my own. And, um, yeah, moving forward from this project, I, I just finished shooting my first um, piece, which was with an entire, um, you know, black or and or queer team. And that was a really um, amazing experience for me. But would I have really doubled down and kind of focused on um, doing that and, and really making that team come together 
um, I may not have um, if I had not had this experience and kind of, yeah, had that little part of me kind of unlocked. And yeah, that's what this project really did for me. Anyone I mean, f for me personally, I think it was a, a space where I could truly uh, express myself and, and really not hide behind anything. Uh, I think uh, my experience has always been, especially me trying to become a, uh, well, it, when I was trying to become a cinematographer specifically, I lo I've seen a lot of these spaces where I, I don't see a lot of me. And so when you, and it's, it's something for me it was that simple. If I don't see who um, look like me and I can't inspire, because what they say is, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. And in Australia specifically, I've been on sets where it wasn't bad. You know, it wasn't like a, a terrible, like people weren't mean or anything like that. But there was that uncomfortability. And so for me, when I was, when I came into this project, it was something about this project. When I see my people and it's just, I, I just let go. And, some, and this is something that I did not know whilst I was doing it. This was after when I was reflecting on it. And that's what the importance um, of working for me personally, because to be honest, I sort of manifested this for myself because at the start of the year, I said I wanted to work with people who look like me. And so, and it, it just made such a big, big difference. And it's a lot of it, a lot of it is unsaid. So yeah, that's how I felt. Yeah, it's so just to close off before we open it up to the audience, something that brought you joy just working through this project. A moment of joy that you'd like to share. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, okay. <laughs> um, uh, I was just thinking, like, Abdul, as Abdul was speaking, um, just becoming close with you, Abdul, in particular, you know, having these conversations, and, like, we jumped on Zoom last week, and, um, yeah, we had this really lovely conversation between all, all of us, but, like, with Abdul now, I, I have a friend who, like, before I came here, I was like, come over, Abdul. I need a pep talk. Like, I'm nervous. So, yeah, and Abdul came through and, like, yeah, I think those kind of, those things bring me joy, um, connection and community. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going to second Abdul. <laughs> the first time I met Abdul, he was wearing this, like, yellow puffy basket, uh, baseball jacket, and I was like, yes, right there. That's the vibe. And it's funny, we were having a conversation. I had another conversation about, um, you know, you're doing a lot whenever you're in a space. And sometimes when you're in spaces where there's no one else like you, all you're doing is, like, treading the water furiously, trying to keep up with the, you know the pace of the conversation where you're like, why are we even talking about this? So just like you, I think, Lana, I was like, it was just great being around people who are not necessarily from exactly where I'm from, but who kind of get my ref global reference. And I'm like, okay, cool. So you've got that joke. Let me add some spice. And then we go. And so the, the favorite part for me was just being with people like my community. You know, that was great. You know, and then I think just another little bit was the city is beautiful, man. Like Melbourne is a, like I'm a Johannesburg person, like born and bred and I love my city and I try to make it like a character in my work. And for me, like the joy is even yet to come. Like what are we gonna do now that, now that we found love, now that we found each other, what are we gonna do to make the city the, like the beautiful, beautiful thing that it can be with all its people and represents it. So yeah, that was my joy. Thank you. My biggest joy was walking into that room, the first opening night of exhibition and seeing a room filled with beautiful black and brown people 
watching all of our work and not only just watching our work but resonating with it, talking to us afterwards and being like, I loved what you did, blah, 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 and just connecting with it, connecting with us and knowing and understanding these stories. It was such an overwhelmingly beautiful feeling to have that and to experience that with so many people and just feel supported and connected. I, don't, I can't even put it into words, but my gosh, it was, whew, fills you with joy. Yeah. Just quickly, for me, I mean, just obviously meeting everyone here is, is, is a long, long thing for, you know, we, we connect and we have long friendships from here on out. But for me personally was, I've, I have two sisters. And so, two brothers, two sisters. And my two sisters especially because... I do a lot of work before this, before this project and they really didn't, yeah, you're cool, you're good, all right. But when I did this, this project, they, they had so many things to say about it in terms of like how it connected with them, how much they love, I like this one, I like that one. Abdul, this is like the best work you've done. I mean, th those sort of comments for me, within my own space, my family, to give them something that they can see themselves in, um, especially my little sister loved your work, and love your work and love your work, specifically those three. And it's just something about it that my own family, my own sister, great, it gives me joy to see my own sisters just kind of see it and go, wow, you know? Yeah. Beautiful. I can't wait to share all of that beautiful work with audiences. So um, I'll open up. If there's any questions, um, just put your hand up. Uh, a mic will come over to you. Thank you. Hello. Yeah, great. Um, so in your introduction, Leila, I think uh, there was mentioned something about the nuance of cross-cultural identity. And I just wanted to understand what would you define as a cross-cultural identity? What are the challenges of a cross-cultural identity? And what are the benefits, if there are any? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's something that I... Um I think when you come from a background which is um, across intersections and as a black queer person, um, yeah, it's, I'm always constantly unpacking this idea of having to kind of signify that I'm cross-cultural or, or, yeah, and, and what does that even mean? So... I think I do struggle with how to kind of articulate that and I, I think that as um, in describing the way that I create film, it, it is something that I have to wrap language around and I have to um, put words to this because I think when somebody's reading my bio, they might be like, you know, they might understand, um, you know, I'm a filmmaker and I make this kind of film, but there are so many, um, you know, the way that I may, might make my films is completely, you know, different to the way, um, you know, a cis white man might make films and they might, you know, be the same kind of films, but my story and my, my journey is, is very different. And I think it's a real um, ongoing subject that I explore in my work, this idea of, intersectionality and what does it mean to be cross-cultural, um, living as a black person on stolen land, um, you know, and, and my connection to um, the traditional owners and the, the, um, the fact that 
you know, the first people are also black people and, and what are the, what's our um, connection as, as black people with a shared experience, but also, um, you know, to each and every one of us have a different experience of what it means to be um, black. So when I use the, when I personally use the word black, you know, um, you know, I've, I have heard that just saying, putting that blanket over, um, over something is, is reductive, but to me, it's expansive. Um, you know, I can dig into, you know, being a mixed race person, being, you know, a black person, being a Zambian person, being an Italian person, grow up in this country. And I think that's something that I'm constantly exploring through my work. So yeah, thanks for asking that. I mean, I could go on for days about that, but um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I sit with it. Thank you. Of course, I have a hundred trillion thousand questions. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask about um, how we sustain our work, how we sustain our communities. But I'm going to ask a different question. I'm going to ask, we sometimes work from a place of not being seen. So what is when you are seen, what is beyond that? What is beyond your scene? Like what then when you are seen? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think for me personally, uh, once I am seen, and I, I feel all the time not seen, right? But, but when I do feel sometimes I am seen, what beyond that is I think for me personally is to is to connect with others and touch others and kind of encourage others uh, to do the same, uh, to share that with them. Um, on my journey up to this point, uh, because I wished I had that. You know, I wished I had somebody to tell me who looked like me uh, to go, you know what, hey, maybe not right now, but you will be seen. But if you just keep going and be consistent, you will. And so I think I just, I just feel like how I see myself is to kind of share it and touch other people and really um, sharing my own story with others and hopefully go from there, really. I was just going to add quickly to that. Um, we get to decide what, what's next, you know. We, we, the beautiful thing about, um, you know, being part of this growing kind of um, film culture of African, exploring African-Australian stories is we get to define what's next after being seen. And I think that for me is in my art practice, but Serena, sorry, you go ahead. When you asked that question, my instant reaction was, I'm scared to be seen. Sometimes, especially as like an artist or a filmmaker, however you want to describe it, being seen in that sort of way and to show your work and to be recognized for that um, can be terrifying. You can get like imposter syndrome, all of that. So I was really scared. I think, but in how I've tried to go about it is to show other people and to make sure that everyone else is seen. So, and I think that's really what Black Diasporas was about, was to show and amplify each other's voices so that we don't feel so alone and so scared by that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, I wanted to add a little bit to that. In you know, I'm not on the panel, but, you know, <laughs> I could share my kind of experience curating the exhibition. Um, I think for me, it was a really big kind of pivotal point in my practice. 
um, as you know, curator, interior designer, to be able to work with a team that was all of you know African heritage and like just leaning into things that I could identify with. But I think what I gained most from just seeing the work that you produced was to be able to operate from a point of just my own perspective as opposed to, for, for exa example, with design, you know, we speak about decolonizing practice, um, but then there's also just indigenizing practice as a kind of different lens where it is speaking from a kind of additive, positive point of view where you're not always having to do the deconstructing things that have been, you know, established. And it's given me a lot of freedom to just say, you know, put out what you put out through your experience. And yes, I'm a black woman and that is the expression, but I don't have to constantly make that evident. It's evident in the work. And I think that's the beauty of everything that you've produced. Um, and I hope that we'll be able to share here. Um, so do we have any other questions before we open up? Yeah. Um, yeah, just a quick one around, I know the work you do um, about sharing the, the black experience um, and while you're doing that, how do you maintain the individuality between, you know, different, different communities within, you know, Africa? So, you know, having that shared identity but also maintaining that individuality between, within that community, how do you, how do you go about that? It's a tough question. It's a tough question because for me, I am really only at the beginning of my journey in terms of finding the way to express my truth and my journey. My stance, it might be different to other people on the panel, and I'll share. So my stance is I found that it's really important to own the means of production, to be able to be like, yo, let's get this audience, let's get them seen, let's, get them, let's, let's show people that they like it, you know. And, and so part of that, for me, has meant that I, <clears throat> it's less about sort of the specificities of my own experience. I kind of lean strongly on that like Ubuntu construct of, you know, like I am through other people. But having said that, and even to touch back on your question, I'm really excited. I don't know what I'm going to do next, to be really frank with you, but I'm really excited to see it. And I really want, I want to lean into that, like you were talking about, Lila, about, you know, like, my, what is my gut saying? How am I responding to my own stuff? I, I'm still yet to do that, so. Yeah, roundabout way of answering your question. Let's see, let's see, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think for me, um, how do I still keep some... Okay, as a Somali man, I'm, I'm, I'm actually at the start of that. How do I do that? You know, yes, we have a shared experience, but I am at the end of the day East, from East Africa, specifically from Somalia. I think well, you can obviously do some of the most obvious ways, right? You can kind of, if I was doing a film, perhaps I can indulge in my own language in there. Um, I think names are so important. Um, and so I think, but I think mostly showing your culture in terms of a different light compared to what people see. So if people are seeing specific, like, you know, in my culture, unfortunately, what we see in the media is what? You know, pirates, this, 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 right? So I'm trying to go opposite of that. And the way for me to do it is just through little things, start little. By the way, this is all I'm trying to figure this out and I don't have the exact answer. But I am trying to start small and go language, for me, language, I think, is very important. Because when I watch an Iranian film, when I watch, even, I'm talking about 
in the diaspora world, like if they're in America, Australia, whatever, language is very, very, I think, strong. And that's what really is a doorway for me to get into that culture. So that's, uh, so I'm trying to start small and that's language and names for me personally. And jokes and jokes too. Jokes, man. Jokes and jokes and jokes. Yeah, you got to be funny because yeah, you know, no one likes seriousness all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, you got definitely funny, yeah. Okay, I think that's, that's us. Let's thank the panelists. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, there'll be an opportunity to ask a few more questions after we watch the film. Um, you know, grab, grab any of them. Um, but yeah, it feels like it's an opportunity for new beginnings, new beginnings, new work, um, new collaboration, which is beautiful. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll give it up to Ewan and he'll get the, to get the films flowing. So we'll watch the screening of all 10 films. Um, yeah, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Hello, so that brings us to the end of our screening of the Black Diaspora's films. Um, feel free to scan the QR code and that will get you onto the website. We've got 452 stories um, that you can listen into. These are the short um, films that are produced out of the 10. Um, could I ask the panelists to join me on stage? Um, we'll have a quick uh, Q&A session if there's any of us in the audience who have a burning question for our panelists. And then we'll move into um, just watching the heritage stories that we've got as part of um, an oral piece for the exhibition. So feel free to stick around, get some food, have some drinks and just listen into the, the oral stories. But um, after watching those exceptional films, um, does anyone have any questions for our panelists? Thank you for that. Um, really moving films, and it was really moving hearing the first part of the Q&A as well. Um, it's, the, it's, it's interesting, because the question I had from the first part that I, I withheld until later was about peace and finding peace, and, and what that looks like. Because particularly when you are going through transitionary modes, you're, you're trying to be yourself, be your genuine self, and you're constantly in, in you know, contest with white gaze, and, but also exploring who you are at a deep level. The, meaning, the, the videos that I just saw had a range of peace and uh, different modes of peace. Can you please share more about that with us, just so we know, you know, what really, I guess, motivates you, gets you out of bed, and what is that success, that peaceful moment, that aha moment, what does that look like? That's a really good question. Um, for me, personally, what really kind of, I mean, with these videos is that, what inspires it is that the stories that we see around us all the time, which is not about peace, it's not about, it's completely the opposite actually. And I think also what inspires, because st stories are so powerful and, and the thing is, the more you kind of see the same story over and over again, the more it's ingrained. And I'm only speaking for myself uh, because the, 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 the story that people have told me about certain things, it's been ingrained, but you need to have the opposite, which is this. And this is the true, what, how we live. And so I think, the mo I think for me personally, stories are so powerful. So that's what kind of inspires me. What other people tell us, talk about us, the way they talk about us, is what I want to do opposite. I want to do the opposite. So that's what kind of inspires me to kind of promote that piece. Because we see the, the, the opposite all the time. Yeah, um, I think... 
for myself and speaking back, referring back to what you had said earlier, Sandra, about, um, you know, whether, whether you're, where is, where does your apex lie? Is it in um, decolonization or, um, you know, Sandra, before you, are you referred to indigenization? And I think for me, part of this um, journey is unpacking, um, you know, it's a constant, we live in this society, so, you know, we're all, we're all a product of our society and we all hold these biases that maybe they're conscious, maybe they're unconscious. But I think for me, everything I try to do, I try to be um, conscious in um, centering black people and the black experience. And if, if blackness hits you and if that resonate, resonates with you, then that's for you. But um, yeah, my work is about centering the black experience and um, my, my experience, I, I, I can't speak for, um, yeah, we're, we are all individuals and I think, um, yeah, just speaking for my own experience of what blackness means to me and if that, if that resonates with you, then that's, that's incredible um, and really, really valuable for us to kind of work towards this um, idea of creating, um, you know, asking the questions of what it might look like to have um, a, an a, a identity through film, which is of the African diaspora and what our stories look like um, in that respect. But yeah, I think kind of centering black people and everybody is welcome in this space, but just know that this space is, is for us. So yeah. <clears throat> for me, I'd love to Peace will come when this journey that I've been on, from where I come from to here, makes, I can see the value of this experience. There's some things that you, there's some things you can't make in Africa. You can't make them because the resources don't allow. And there's things that you can't make here because they tell us there's no Africans. What I'd love to do is bridge that gap. I'd like to make stuff about Africans here that we can't, couldn't necessarily make in the motherland because of resource. So I want to use the resources and make cool stuff. I think for me it's just about finding peace is just trying to be as authentic as possible. Um, and again, back to this film, it was just about trying to really kind of connect to that identity or trying to understand my own identity further. Yeah, I think that's how I get peace. Thanks for that question. Um, do we have any other questions from the audience? Hey guys, um, just a quick question. So you guys have talked about how our, individ our individual experiences as African Australians hasn't really been represented as a whole in Australia. It's sort of like we don't really exist. Um, do you guys have any aspirations for what you guys want our community in Melbourne or in Australia to sort of I guess pop off like the rest of the world is doing. Like in England, we see a whole lot of um, African communities, whether they're, they're Ugandan, um, Nigerian, etc. How they're sort of forming a community and they're really collaborating and they're creating such incredible works of art. What do you guys aspire? Do you, do you guys want something like that to happen here? And how do you want that to sort of be different and be like authentically Australian? I think for me, it's just like even. Um, I was chatting to Serena about this before, 
but it's like the importance of us being here and having this conversation and the importance of the journey that every all of you have taken to be here and to be um, supporting, you know, to be to all be working towards a common goal and a common understanding. And I think that's that's what I want and that's where, what I see for us. It's more of this. It's more of us supporting each other. It's more of us showing up for each other and um, understanding that we have um, so much more in common than we think. And I think, so I was saying to Serena as well, when I, when this, um, when the exhibit first, um, the launch of, um, yeah, the exhibit, I was in Tuscany and I was on a residency and I was with, um, it was myself and um, there was another black American person there, but we were kind of the only black people in, in this part of um, where I was staying at this villa. And just the conversations I had and watching all of these films online and watching the opening online as well. And I kind of like, it really hit me how much like these are my people, you are all my people. And the bond that we share is, I, I think we're only just kind of coming to realize what that is. And it's through um, projects like this that we really see um, how that manifests in a more tangible way. I'm so happy that you asked that question so that we could continue the <laughs> chat that we were having now on stage. Um, I don't think I know yet what I want that to look like for us in Australia. I think, I don't want to speak on behalf of anyone else, but I don't think I necessarily want to, or maybe any of us want to emulate anything or what anyone else is doing overseas. I think there's a place for all of us to continue to do that here and for them to do that there. Um, but I think it's really about amplifying and showing things like this and doing it in our own way and making sure that we're all still sort of um, connected in that together and that there's space for all of us here. Yeah. And quickly for me, oh, it's happening. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it's inevitable, really, uh, because with England and the US, they had such a, uh, a head start, really, uh, because if you look at the African diaspora, I mean, I don't have the stats or anything like that, so don't quote me, but we're relatively new in comparison. Um, so I think it'll happen. It's, it's already happening, uh, slowly but surely. As you know, change is slow, but it is going to happen. Um, how would that look like, in my opinion? is what Serena was saying, which is as long as we are authentic to ourselves. That's how I look at it. If, it's, if we're authentic, just like England have, they are authentic. They are authentically them. And that's what is so attractive about them. Just like the African-Americans in America, they're them. They do not emulate anyone else. So I think if we're just authentic to ourselves, uh, it'll happen. And like I said, it is inevitable that uh, because the talent is immense, uh, especially now we're connecting uh, far more than before with uh, social media. So we see the talent and it's going to happen, uh, but it's just when, not if, so yeah. Beautiful, I think on, on that note, we'll, we'll wrap up. Feel free to grab any of the panelists uh, and have a chat. Uh, and like Yusuf said, um, you know, we're here, we're doing it, um, and there's just more to come. So thank you all for joining us this evening. Um, stick around, mingle. Uh, as I said, we'll be having the heritage stories playing. So these are just oral stories from um, the other vast, you know, 42 individuals who shared their stories. So they'll be playing on loop and you can listen into that. Uh, feel free to scan the QR code and get onto the website and have a look. So yeah, thank you to all our panelists. Thank you.
Um, and thanks, M Pavilion, for having us. You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Podcasts.